Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Jim. I'm starting my A-round funding tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Your co-host, Hunter. What's going on, everybody? And your co-host, Spaz. Hello. And real quick, before we get to our guest, we actually have one tonight, uh, Hunter's going to hit us up with a community update, because apparently we've got stuff going on, so... Take it away. Yeah, we got all kinds of stuff going on in a few different games right now. Um, Most specifically, I know it's going to be a shocker to our listeners, but we got a lot going on in EVE Online right now. Um, We've just made friends with a few major alliances slash coalitions who have graciously let us enter their territory for the price of zero to do all the fun stuff that we want to do out there. Um, And so... I've already been having a pretty good time. I've been making, uh, like, recently, I think within the last 24 hours, made, like, 300 million just doing nothing. So it's been, uh, it's been a pretty good time wait, out there. Wait, so wait, few... wait. How do you make 300 million doing nothing? <laughs> um, maybe I can tell you if you start playing. <laughs> All right, I'll be in there soon. <laughs> But no, uh, no, it's it's real simple though, because like the way the territory control works in null space, the you know they own a whole bunch of this territory, and in order to bolster like the defensive nature of the system and how strong the system defenses are, um, you're encouraged to um, do all the PVE stuff, mining and industrial stuff that are in these systems, and that increases like the like the index multiplier for the um, strength of the system. And so essentially um, it, you know, if you want to make sure that you have a really strong system, you go and do all of the, the uh, stuff and it increases it. So it encourages people to be active in these systems that they own. Cause a lot of times you fly through null space and Eve and it's just like system after system of nothing. Right. It's like all the borders are the ones that are busy. Everything else behind the borders is just like, you know, where is everyone? <laughs> Which is why sometimes when you come out on like a wormhole into like some big alliance's territory, you'll go like ten jumps without seeing a single soul. But um, but we're doing quite a bit of things in there. We've got several facilities set up in low sec, uh, high sec. We've all, we've got our own market system going on. So there's quite a bit uh, that we're doing that's pretty active in there, and it's a really friendly community that we're playing with. And so if if uh, you want to do it in the game, we've got it from everything from PVE to PvP to PvP against droids, you know, all kinds of stuff. So um, so that's EVE. We definitely have some things going on in Star Trek Online, which we're going to be doing something at the end of the month on the 29th of July. We're going to do a uh, monthly meetup in Star Trek Online and going to play some of that stuff. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, so if anybody wants to join us for that, you guys are more than welcome to. We even have a Space Game Junkie fleet in Star Trek Online. Uh, we also are trying to work on getting a um, guild up and running in Star Wars The Old Republic. Yes, that game is still around. Um, so if you're interested and you like playing that, you can let us know and we'd be happy to uh, accommodate. Or if folks want to do Star Wars Galaxies instead, you can try that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely there's definitely options. We've definitely got a lot of community interest in, in a, a wide variety of areas. It's just kind of getting organized and gathered and, and making things happen. So we can definitely make things happen. We've got a few other games that we have guilds or groups in, such as Guns of Icarus Alliance, uh, Aramek. We have um, Spaz has set that one up for us. 
Um, And we've got a running list that I'm still constantly putting together of games that we have presence in. If you guys like playing StarCraft 2, we got uh, stuff going on in StarCraft 2. So... But if you want to play an actual good game, you should play Warframe. Uh, no, it's true. So I started. Uh, I'm I'm gonna shout out to these guys because they it. they have a podcast I just discovered last week, and I've listened to like ten episodes of it so far, which they're like ten episodes in. Shocker, um, but they're they're doing really well. It sounds like they've done this before, so uh, I, I refuse to believe that they're amateurs. But it's a husband and wife team, and uh, they stream Warframe like five nights a week. And then they do a podcast. I wow. think it's weekly. So That's yeah, a lot they're of super huge, dedicated, and boy, they play a lot of Warframe. That's a lot of Warframe. Um, but but anyway, it's uh, it's Tenno Talk, and it's uh, Tenno Talk on Twitter. And uh, if you go to Twitch, yeah, it's Tenno. I think it's no space Tenno Talk, or it might have an underscore in between. Is that T E N O T A L K? T T E N N O. Oh, it's two ends. T L T E L K. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But they're really they're really good people, and they paid me a little bit to say that. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Uh, so folks, we do have a guest this week joining us from Pittsburgh. That, is that that's where you are right now, Richard? You got it. Uh, no better than Philly. So uh, hey, thank hey, you. Hey, hey, hey! You go to hell, sir. Not as good as Cleveland. Actually, no. I what? Oh, uh, uh, we're already getting very sidetracked. Well, th- that's what happens because Jim knows I'm from Philly, so he. Uh, are you right. from Philly, uh, Richard? Well, from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh I went to sorry. Haverford, though. Is that did, did we talk oh, about this earlier? No, we haven't. But well, I know Haverford's exactly. Just outside of Philadelphia. Yeah, no, I'm I'm from Springfield. I'm from Springfield, so I'm I'm just a few towns over from Haverford. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, Bingo. But yeah, Pittsburgh, they say pop instead of soda, which is just fucking weird and wrong. But anyway, welcome, Richard. <laughs> welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, Richard is the CEO of, okay, Woove It. Did Woove I do it, it. right? Woove It? You got Woove it. it. Woove It. I, I kept saying Hoove It, and I got crap for it. So Woove It. Uh, it folks, if you're not aware... Woove it. I'm just going to... Me- uh, it's so hard to say. I, I like it. That's going to become the authorized pronunciation. Woove it. You like to woove it, woove it. You got you to gotta add the... Um, you got to add the... Uh, the, um, the, la, 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 the emphasis at the beginning. Woove it. Control of it. Is a digital distribution service for creators. Basically, it has a system where uh, creators can access codes for games based on their stats. Based on how many... YouTube followers they have, how many uh, Twitch followers they have, even how many Mixer followers they have, because uh, apparently Mixer is a, still a thing. Um, hey, 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 is there any integration for MySpace? <laughs> uh, coming soon, right after, in- before Instagram. I'm a Friendster. Nice. I'm a Friendster. Uh, <laughs> I have a Zanga blog, you guys, uh, yeah. you know, no, Friendster you- creator, Jonathan Abrams, he did a space game, was what? it right before or after Friendster? I'm now digging deep into the archives. Here. Wait a minute, What's, which game was that? Friendster you- creator, Jonathan Abrams, game designer, that might have to be Googled. Anyway, just I'm before we go too hard on the Friendster jokes. I'm looking it up. Um, you know, Elon Musk, who you may have heard of, uh, he worked on this game called Lodestar, 
back on the Philips Magnavox CDI. Yeah. Where that debuted at, he will not speak to me about it. Um, I've asked him repeatedly to come on the show, and Elon just seems to have better shit to do. And the Philadelphia so, connection's not enough to get him get him going? Apparently not. Well, Elon might be looking for a new new company or new line of work, so maybe it'll be a game designer soon. I don't know. I heard the Model 3 is like the most profitable one. So, so it, yeah, but then when you enough. you call the people that save children trapped in a cave pedos, uh, sometimes <laughs> yeah, that's enough to make the that board. was That was a oh, bit I strange. Missed, I missed that. No, that happened a day or two ago. Yeah, that was weird. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I don't news. So, so, so Richard, uh, tell folks how Wuvit works because we got some confusion in the chat room. All right, uh, and by the way, am I watching the right chat room, or should I, let me pull up the Discord chat room as well? Uh, yeah, we got the stream. It's the stream chat chat room in Discord. Yeah, let me find. And, and on Twitch, and there's a YouTube one, but I you're don't on know Twitch as well. Me. All right, we'll tell you. What, I, I'll let you guys pull out. The, uh, I'm looking on the uh, YouTube one. Uh, how do we start with Wuvit? Uh, so Triple Point is a PR firm that uh, I've run for going on a decade and a half now uh, with good partners like uh, people named Eddie May Jukes and Quinn Wageman. Uh, we've got about a staff of 15, and we've worked on everything from space games to small little indies to Lego and Paradox and Pokemon. And, you know, as the industry has changed um, to become much more dependent upon how, quote unquote, influencers that make these videos or do these podcasts about games. I hate that uh, word, by the way. I'm sorry. Are we, are we influencers? We do too. Is it official? It's, it n- it's, it's not what? the official word for, the, for folks, but it's like the no, most I, commonly I used one. one. I just, I, just uh, at some point in my life, I want somebody to tell me I'm influential. Uh, no, you well, no, I'm not going to be that one because no. we want to go to creators. That's James a lot Blunt better. Is just That's a way lot overblown. Yeah, I hate I'm that influenced. <laughs> and if, and I'm you under create. some influence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey. Hey, I told the man to pre-drink because, you know, you got to for success, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a great show. Now you are getting influence. Well done. Yes. So, anyway. uh, you know, for a company like Paradox, which has a hardcore fan base, some very desirable games that will run you, you know, $39, give or take, upon initial release, we would notice a lot of incoming requests from random emails saying, hey, I like the game. Uh, most of these are fraudulent. Most of these are people that are just, you know, they just want a free copy of their stuff. That's fine. God bless them. Um, and in the end, this this makes Paradox, which has always been the most cutting-edge client when it comes to working with any new wave of media, but especially creators, especially streamers. And it just got it, – it was too hard. It was not scalable. PR firms have to sort of sell time, the time of the staff to work. It's usually on some type of retainer or hourly basis. But clients like Paradox still saw the value in cultivating people that really loved and cared about their games. So for very forward-thinking companies, it actually, it was still something they wanted to do. Like, you know what? Maybe this guy only has 50 followers, but one day he's going to have 50,000. And that was definitely the case with uh, a lot of the, the people that came from fanboyhood and became professionals. Quill 18... 
Avenuda. I mean, there are all sorts of people that really made a nice career off of working with Paradox. But how to do that when a world there, you know, there are 200,000 people and possibilities. Well, you have to have some way of automating that. And getting the keys to the right people as fast as possible is something that software is going to do 24-7 in ways that people that bill hourly are not going to be able to do. And the good thing is, and, you know, the pre-show warm-up, we talked about niches. You know, your whether it's a, a 10 or 100 or 1,000 followers, each individually is so much more influential than uh, the, the one follower of PewDiePie's. But because the way everything had been done manually before, every brand, every publisher just chases the top 20 people. And we thought very ineffectively. So we wanted a system that could get codes automatically, as much as they're comfortable with automation, into the hands of uh, fans to bring the word and spread the game to their create to their fan bases. And thus, Woovit was born. And, and it's an interesting challenge in that because whenever you deal with somebody that's like a, you know, a, a pootie pie scale or like total biscuit, you know, it, like it, even when somebody would, they, they would, let's say, uh, get their game in front of total biscuit somehow. Right. Yep. Even if he hated the game, they would do 50,000 sales based off of that. Yep. You know? And it, so, I mean, you're moving product, love it or not, because, you cast a wide enough net across enough eyeballs. Yeah. But the the other market is channels like this where we're very niche and we don't necessarily have an existing relationship with a with uh you know a development house or whatever. Yeah. And and it used to be because Brian and I are back from the nineties magazine days, right? So it was kind of like our editors dealt with that stuff and the magazine had a PR relationship with whoever the in-house PR people at, at, you know, whatever dev house, you know, EA Activision, those guys, and they would send out code and we didn't have to, to actually pursue that. It just came. But now that you have a platform that is so wide you know, it's it's like 10 miles wide and an inch thick, right? And there's no way to cover all of that. Plus, as a developer, you have to look at your engagement time. And like a Steam key, if you give a Steam key out to somebody and they don't do anything with it, you maybe lost a sale, whatever. You know, you don't feel that. But if you spend time with somebody, time is a very finite resource. So if you're dealing with somebody and investing time into a relationship and that person doesn't have sufficient reach or has a bad track record of, of actually returning content for that yep. time investment. So that's the thing that I look at, uh, at doing is it looks at the content creator and says, you know, does this guy have enough reach? Does he have a track record of actually delivering videos so you kind of gatekeeper that where you say okay it, it, it's it's like renting a movie right it's like okay you can check out a couple of codes but you got to bring those back before we give you any more you can't just sit here with your hand out and we fill it up that's right which i really like because that gets the beggars out of the equation uh and there are all sorts of dynamics there that even if you had a great relationship so one of the things we have i think paradox now has put up all of the dlc for city skylines and the filter there is pretty simple. It's number of hours played on city skylines. And they care oh. more that you've played the time, uh, which we get through, you know, because you've authenticated with Steam. And there's not some investigation. There's not emails back and forth. Well, 
I don't know, is the alien pickle really serious about this? Uh, has he played that? And all this is around, you know, a, what is a, I don't know, $10 DLC, $5 DLC. I don't, I don't know the particular pricing right now. So that becomes very difficult. Um, and though you are wise, I believe, in that uh, if you lose a Steam code, uh, maybe you missed a sale, maybe not. People are still very, very sensitive on that. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of the point of the thing. So anytime one code is gone, um, <laughs> people get pissed. They've worked yeah. very hard a lot. You know, we have about, I don't know, 400 individual publishers that have been up. But, you know, for 300 of them, that's that's their lifeblood. They have worked extremely hard on that. And so uh, they want to make sure that the that everything has been properly authenticated. And, and they, even less than EA, don't have the time to be able to vet that. And, the and that, was dynamic- a, that was a challenge that I ran into whenever I did a dose of PR with a company. Uh, it was some some guys that came on the show. They had a game. They had zero strategy for any kind of market awareness with it. And a, awareness discoverability right now is, I think, the chief problem, especially with what's happened with the front page of Steam and the and the huge volume of eight thousand games this year. Game. Yeah. It, it's like your time, it used to be, if you got the front page of Steam, you were guaranteed, you know, I'm selling 20, 50,000 today. And then you've got long tail after that. Well, now you've got about an hour before you roll off the front page. Um, there there seem to be taking some moves to fix that, which we can get into later, um, because I think that's a challenge that all all uh, software creators are going to face out yep. there. Um, but uh, the the thing of the long tail as well. Yeah. It's something else that I feel that your platform addresses because it's not just the, the like launch week PR push. And it's like, Hey, we gave all these keys out, you know, and, and it's a done thing. Right. Yep. Uh, but it's a, it's because it is automated because it sits there, then it can deal with like people that come late to the party. Right. And, and it's, and it's like, Hey, I, I want to maybe cover this thing. You know, can I can I do that? Um, because sales continue long into the time after release, so the PR stuff should also continue to trickle like that as well. Because you know, new new co- content creator might just discover a game, really like it once you know. So uh, you can keep the thing relevant longer in the media space. You know, I listened to parts of uh, your podcast on early access, and I'm going to mention, you know, Subnautica, which right now is out of codes, but, you know, distributed 500 codes through Woovit. And it's a classic example of, you know, just keep the party on a medium burn for a very long time instead of having one big launch shebang and then fade away. Right. Um, The game just, you know, Charlie and Max just develop it over many years. They learn, they iterate the feedback from... Uh, from the cre- creators, the streamers themselves was very useful. Um, and, I, and I think that will become more of the model of game launches. Um, mm. Certainly for anybody sub EA or Activision, that is going to have to be the model because you're not going to have the type of attention that, and even in the early days of the iOS store, you could get. And when you mentioned Steam, I mean, I think unfortunately what will likely happen, or I should say, because I have no insight, you know, I have no in, in with Steam but other platforms that have captive market share tend then to get gamed either algorithmically or um, they get monetized for it. Mm. It's now very hard for an iOS game to break into the top X number of games um, on Android or iOS or even, you know, Kindle. Steam will probably go that way. 
You know, I've noted a um, and in your Twitch comments, there's a guy who mentions itch. Um, you know, there will be things that try to break up Steam. Their critical mass and network effect is so big. Um, and by the way, the answer to the question in, uh, from Twitch, uh, are you guys ever going to integrate with other platforms other than Steam, itch.io? Uh, the answer is yes. We actually got our first itch game up uh, mm-hmm. a little bit ago. Um, I, I won't get too far in the weeds. We'll go back to the main thread. Um, it, it depends on the API. Uh, mm-hmm. We have not looked at the API, the application programming interface. How do we actually, how open these systems are? Right. Uh, but we'd love to do that. We'd love to diversify. Uh, the more platforms, the better, and the more likely the high-quality content will get to the right people. Okay, so with awareness stuff, you know, like there's there's the awareness of the game creator trying to reach an audience, but then there's awareness of Woovit trying to make game creators aware, which here, here you are, right? Yep. So this is part of how you do it. Um, but what other strategy do you employ for onboarding? Because you know, acquisition of customers is is probably the most expensive part of of any kind of service that you're trying to build. So, yeah. So, what's your outreach for that? <laughs> this is going to sound uh, too cute by half. We really, and though it comes from a PR firm origins, we've not done much outreach yet. We had uh, had a big hope that we would get to 500 creators on the platform by the end of the year. Uh, and we blew by that relatively quickly. I, I don't want to be so um, august as to say we've gone viral, uh, but I think we have, at least within certain niches of indie creators, especially with strategy games, because we've got a lot of Paradox games on there. Uh, so I think it's spreading um, a good bit by word of mouth. Uh, you know, of course, we go to the E3, we go to GDC, we go to all of the conferences. Quinn Wageman, a co-founder, will be at... Um, Gamescom for anybody that wants to meet up with him there. You know, so some of that is just sort of the standard beating the bushes, but really, you know, though I've said this with high conviction, we're still discovering our customers. What exactly do people want? What do they need? What are the filters they want to have um, for their campaigns? Filters being uh, what was described earlier in this podcast of setting, oh, this person has 100 average concurrent viewers on Twitch and has played 20 hours of Grand Theft Auto. You know, so we, we actually haven't done the full classic push, but like Subnautica, I think we're going to maintain a, a medium burn for a long time and, and grow into our niche mm-hmm. uh, after this beachhead market of indie, largely strategy games. Okay. So but given Steve- two variety streamers, by the way, I mean, one of the dynamics, and I'm happy to talk long-term roadmap, you know, it's variety streamers that want lots of different games. The person that's right. just going to play Fortnite doesn't yet have a super big use for Woovit, and I can discuss what that use will be down the road, but don't want to get too off topic. No, I, I, lo- I look at the thing of, of like, uh, you're, you're bringing, because the initial idea that I had some, some years ago was there are content creators, or, well, the software creator and then the content creator who they need each other, right? So this guy needs to get audience awareness and that guy needs content to, to make videos and and stuff. But, but it's, it's a thing. I was thinking sort of like a dating site, right? It's like, could I, could I take like a WordPress install of like a match.com clone and then somehow bend that into being like, uh, you know, YouTuber wishes to meet hot game for, 
walks on the beach, right? So the, this is the genre of game that I'm interested in. And then the game would say, this is the type of content creator that I'm interested in. And it would put the two in, you know, together and, you know, yep. you know, an awareness thing. Um, but I, I could never figure out how I would actually make that happen. Right. And, and I think you solved it much more elegantly than I had envisioned because you're doing a lot of analytics stuff where you do, you know, it, somebody signs up and then move it looks at that person, uh, you know, their channel and says, okay, this is how often they stream. This is what they're streaming, right? How, what their audience numbers are like. And then you can show those statistics to the game creator and say, okay, th- this is what we know about the people that are actually producing content for you. That's right. right. So that's a value to them. What I wonder though, because since we've recently had the Facebook meltdown and everybody like closed up all their user profiles and went mm-hmm. privacy, right? And as a, a person who's a content creator signed up on the platform previously, uh, much like Steam charts and, and that stuff, you could look at my profile and kind of see like, okay, this is the games that he's got. This is what he likes to play that kind of thing. And that was a wealth of information, especially if you get that over a wide base that you can then turn to the, to the actual software creator and say, Hey, this, this is a profile of the people that sign up for woo it. Yep. Um, but that's kind of denied to you now suddenly. So does that kind of screw you over or you just have to adjust and sidestep it? Sure. And let me know if I get uh, too far off the scale of interest here, because it gets to what the quote unquote influencer software market is. There are places like Tracker. Straight straight to the bottom of the rabbit hole. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Like I would expect out of a space game podcast. So there are are influencer software options like Tracker, T-R-A-A-C-K-R, Sidekick, which also has an unusual spelling and others, that do a very broad search of the APIs of these platforms and says, we're just going to pull in everything. Um, Social Blade does this. There are all sorts of places that are reliant on very public APIs. I think that the clock is ticking um, on all of those guys because they're not getting the authorization to pull the information from any one individual, where, of course, we are asking for um, and and do authenticate each request of each person that signs up and move it, so, which they can rescind uh, if they so choose. So the the privacy issue that Facebook just brought up and and subsequent, you know, whether the EU goes further with the GDPR regulations, I think is very ominous for business models that just basically say, we're going to scrape other services and present that data to you in some way. Right. Well, that that was actually the the exclusive business model of a lot of places, you know, Facebook included, right? It was was like, we're going to monetize user data. Because yep. that's of interest to marketing people, so we we will watch user behavior and then sell that. Well, and, and what Facebook though said is we're gonna they can still monetize within their platform. Where they got in trouble was that the information got given away to Cambridge Analytica, amongst others, and no user had signed up for that. So right. the same deal is you know and we'll have the Facebook API which will you know integrate at some point such that it becomes another filter and another means of delivering content. Um, the individual would sign off on, all right, you're going to give this information to Wuvit about the channel size and interest and so forth and make that very express mm-hmm. and, and bought into. And I think that that means we will not have uh, any of those those problems. 
But the dating process that you mentioned earlier, before we leave that thread, I do want to say further, that is part of the, you know, there are many fish in the sea. Who's mm-hmm. right for you? You go out on a date. That's good. What do you do next? You still have a lot to automate from that point on. And, and again, you know, we've, we've really only been writing the software for a year and a half. We have some functionality to uh, take you further down those steps towards commitment. One is a publisher whitelist. So if they like what Space Game Junkies uh, streamed, uh, add to a whitelist. A whitelist then gets applied to any of the offers. Space Game Junkies doesn't need to apply for any of these other things that they're on a whitelist for. They get the codes instantly. So oh, if you cool. got, and so, so, that, I, so that bypasses like subscriber requirements and stuff because they're like, we like these guys in particular. We don't care that they don't have a million subs. That's right. Okay. That's and the dynamic is the when you say a million subs, it's funny because that that is kind of the threshold now. We want to get that threshold down to fifty subs uh, for people because there is no incremental cost for uh, Steam codes. There's a maxima there, uh, mm. but and you know uh, sometimes the consoles are a little more um, uh, restricted. But there's essentially no marginal cost to one of these codes, but the cost is entirely in the targeting and in the servicing, as, as was described earlier, of getting the codes out to them. The more you have that productive relationship going, everybody wins, and you'll get better content. You'll find your niche. Um, whatever space game that really wants to make sure, oh, th- this is a, you know an RTS, so I want to make sure they've played StarCraft. Um, I feel this could very optimistically extend the long tail from markets that we know like an eBay and Amazon to marketing mm-hmm. and marketers are receptive to it. Everybody knows that quote unquote micro influencers. Again, I hate that term, a variant of influencer uh, are more influential than large sites. Yeah. So, so before you're before the uh, steam platform kind of sealed itself off with the user data um, would would somebody let's let's say paradox for instance right so paradox and quickly, is, okay, Steam, though, if you sign up we had to put a blog post you don't have to seal yourself off right but Steam sealed itself off you know yeah as just to scrape unauthorized okay but whenever i sign up do i do i have to then whitelist you guys to look at my data is that a you, thing because i mean i don't mind because it's a it's a fair trade right like you need to see me i want to see you yep happy here but it's not like i'm opening up publicly right or do you or do you say well okay you have to you have to publicly make your profile so that we can scrape it or you do have to make the public the profile public and so steam is a, a little different in this regard it has a little different i think needs and and i don't want to speak too far out of school about things that i don't fully know about how what the other implications of that are yeah well i was looking at basically can i say let these guys see me. I, you know, they're cool, but I want to, I want to stay private, but I allow this, you know, I allow Wuvit access or whatever. That will almost certainly, let's speak in a very broad picture. That will almost certainly be the case soon. If not now, uh, I know that we are asking for authorization first to connect your steam account such that we ingest the data. Uh, so I'm confident, but not certain that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Well, it's basically um, I, let, getting Steam to let you. Yes. Right? Like, it's like we requested it. They said it's okay. Now Steam, ex, you know, honor this. Yeah. Is the thing. Uh, but that could be – I don't want to say I know that 100%. Um, that's definitely the, the, the approach we take. There could be all sorts of individual hacks around based upon mm-hmm. personally identifiable information. 
Yeah, because so, well, I look at the at the benefit to the person who's handing out game keys because you would say, okay, my game is very much like Master of Orion. Therefore, I want to look in their profile, and here's a list of 20 games that are like my game. I want to make sure that they've at least put some time into these, that they kind of know what's going on with this, because if I give a game to somebody, they're clueless about the genre. They're probably going to present it poorly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's like, I, I don't want potential customers to watch somebody really struggle to play my game, which happens to be fairly simple for people that understand the genre. But if nobody has seen this before, you know, that that's their first rodeo and they're going to put on a bad show and make my game look bad. So Let me wanna... parse that a little, a little further because we are talking about the issue of privacy. When you're a publisher looking for and reviewing requests, um, what we enable you to do is set the filter has played 80 hours of Master of Orion. When you use our search engine, uh, which is still very much in beta, it's at search.wovit.com. It, it's pulling from the same back end. Mm-hmm. You can't say, I, I want to check in advance whether Space Game Junkie hey, what's this guy played? Um, we actually have chosen not to try to make that public, mm. that data public. So it's actually just any filter that would then only enable someone that's played 81 hours um, to see the offer or qualify for it. Oh, okay. They yeah. actually can't see what you're playing. I, I know I'm parsing this pretty finely, but... No, I, I like that because because that way they set the threshold and then you have it red light, green light, based on your threshold, but That's it doesn't right. get reported to them. So they can so see that makes the search even... engine what you've publicly issued on Mixer, Twitch, and YouTube, and soon Twitter. Uh, but it's, again, stuff you have elected to make public, um, not something that not something that you may or may not want to be private. Right. Um, so, so then we, we might tweak that and, um, and enable people if that's better, because the search engine will be the other way that people will find and probably one way we'll monetize mm-hmm. um, instead of just having this passive filtering, the ability to search and then make a proactive offer. This is how right. some other key sites do it, um, which we're still fiddling around. There's some things that make us a little bit uncomfortable, but yeah. anyway, no, I, I do like the, uh, the concept on there because you, you have a, a filter for me as a content creator where I can say only show me paid offers, right? That's right. Which there don't seem to be a, a great volume of that, which is fine, you know, but there, there is a lot of that that goes on out there. But of course that goes on with like PewDiePie, right? Where it's, it's like, Hey, I'm going to make X amount of money if he shows the game at all for 30 seconds. So what is it worth to me to write a check to, and you know, to get not even an endorsement, but just a showing, yep. right. I just want paid placement. You know, I, I don't, I don't want a, a paid for a review because that's an ethical problem, but, but it's just like, just put this in front of your audience. How, well, you know, let by me the way, on here. let's drill in on that because that ethical problem of the paid review is very much where the industry was headed. Um, let's say three years ago. Uh, but give give or take two years, right? Um, but three well, years ago was really at its apogee before the Federal Trade Commission stepped in, yeah. and this was the other real motivation going back to the core of Wuvet. Uh, I mean, this is really a devil's bargain that nobody wins with because the the sites themselves. If you've got a niche playing space games, you don't want to. You will piss off your fan base and lose a lot of people if you play you know, Game of War, Fire Age, right. uh, even though you're going to be paid handsomely for that. 
or if, if you display a lack of integrity, because it takes it takes a long time to build trust and you can lose it forever instantly. So. The uh, it was that John Wooden or Warren Buffett for that quote, but you, that's absolutely right. You build up a lifetime of reputation and lose it in five minutes. And, um, you know, maybe Internet time is so fractured that that that's not exactly the case. But we really wanted to try to incentivize a, a, a much tighter fit between the creators and the end audience. I think most of the type of paid propositions that will be coming on WooVit uh, will be for things like the beverage that they are drinking, the chair they are sitting on, the headset that they wear, um, and sort of this sort of uh, peripheral material such that the underlying content itself does not get corrupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is one reason why we don't have too many of these things, uh, the paid offers on right now. There are all sorts of other reasons in terms of just what exactly is expected. Paid offers are harder to automate than just code distribution and yada, yeah. yada. But, um, you know, I'm one thing I'm very surprised about is that there is not a t-shirt market yet with streamers. It's just like, just wear a t-shirt. You don't have to say anything about it. Just wear my shirt. Uh, and, funny you mentioned you know. that. It's And on on health and fitness on YouTube vertical, the t-shirt market's there. Oh. I mean, there's some pretty big sites, and I won't say their names because I don't know this for a fact. I'm sure they're getting paid to wear the t-shirt. Oh, yeah. I think with the streaming market, I think the other thing that will happen is hats um you know things proximate to the face that are naturally worn yeah because not everybody's showing showing uh like from the neck down kind of thing but everybody's got their head so everyone's got their yeah yeah. so the the thing um because you were saying about like your one hardware thing is you you guys do have a chair thing going on i'm not sure what brand that is but um but that's a oh okay um actually I think that's the chairs because uh, I did that that shout out earlier about the Tenno Talk thing. I think they just bought Respawn chairs because he had a thing on his on his Twitter and he was like, "Check out our new chairs." And I noticed that they weren't DX racers, which is blasphemy, right? Like you can't you can't make it on Twitch if you don't have a DX racer. I don't uh, understand the, why. <laughs> you know, like, are you privy to what went on in that campaign? Did they just spam DX racers out to? to enough people that it built critical mass and then it became the, like, I got to have one. Yeah. They were, it, they were giving them away. Oh yeah. But, it, but it's like at some point, if you're that a streamer, turned, call us and just like, we'll send you one. <laughs> yeah. But the, and, and it's brilliant because their branding is right at head level. You know, it's, it says what the chair is. Plus the top of the chair is shaped in such a way that it, there is no mistaking what that is, which is why I notice it so much. It's just like, my God, is there anybody that doesn't have? So yeah, when I, I don't know, that, right? I mean, they do colors well. I mean, the, yeah. the color, you know, they do like the, the the orange chairs and so forth. I mean, like more of the Bengal, you know, Cincinnati Bengal tiger pattern to use to go back to our Midwestern origins of this podcast. Uh, you know, they, there's some other things they do. Well, I, I don't, I don't know how they initially sort of went to market mm. though. Okay. Cause, uh, cause I was just kind of wondering like, you know, the, how much did they have to put out there to saturate the market until it became the, the, like, not the please give me, but I must go purchase for my channel <laughs> kind of thing. You know, it, it, it just, it became such the trendy thing that I don't think they're handing them out anymore. I think, you know, it's, it's purchased, but uh, just because 
you know, your PR guy. And, and I didn't know if maybe you knew like some numbers about how much, how much, how much product do you have to throw at the wall before, <laughs> before it sticks? Cause we had a thing happen. Uh, you know, it the, the, it depends on the product. Yeah, this is true. We did Pokemon but, go. I mean, <laughs> Pokemon go threw a little bit out there. I mean, there was more planning. It was a long planning process and all sorts of things about game design and so forth. But, you know, that, that suddenly is 100x bigger than anything certainly we'd ever seen. Other, oh, so, other so things. Your other, your other company. For Triple Point. Yeah, we represent oh, okay, Pokemon. Okay, cool. Wow, and, you, so uh, you did catch them all. So uh, <laughs> we try, Well, then you catch a lot of different calls. And, uh, you know, to our uh, tower defense joke earlier, was that on live on the podcast? or? The I don't think I don't it was. Think that was, no. that was all right, weird. anyway. Um Yes, that that can be very so. But Pokemon, when it's naturally viral, well polished game, known brand, you know that is a type of thing you do want to do more of a very concerted launch. That's the traditional eighteen month plan, build up, go, and then support. Versus a more indie studio like Unknown Worlds doing, uh, you know, Subnautica, uh, and for that matter, you know, Natural Selection two before that was building on Natural Selection one. I mean, you could make an right. argument that that was a 10-year launch cycle for Subnautica. Yeah, and which they built up a reputation and a lot of goodwill and a fan base and yep. stuff and then capitalized on that. So, And and I still see people, you know, streaming that thing. So, yeah. and it's it, But it's quality product. The other Hardware thing is hard that- to give away, though. I mean, I, I think, and I don't know their, their specific strategy. I, I would suspect going back, they probably did things at, at a discount. I mean, it's pretty tough to, you know, even ship, forget the, you know, cost of goods of the chair, Hmm. getting the chair into someone's apartment is expensive too. So I'm not, they probably didn't have a saturation Hmm. giveaway to start. Well, the, the thing uh, that we had happen with us, right. was with Brian. It was, uh, I forget who it was, uh, but they make routers. Right. And they, and just like, he's got a box on his doorstep, like bang, there's a $300 gaming router, which I'm very jealous of. And, uh, (laughs) but, but it was just like, wow. Like, how did we even get on their radar? And well, can I get, I will give you a reason that's also happening. So whatever happened, whether it was, it was from Cisco. uh, Juniper, whoever. Yeah. These places have enormous marketing budgets the marketing budgets thing get doled out also liberally to the PR firm. The PR firm is not a specialist in the area, and the mandate comes down, find gaming influencers. And some list, which is probably about one-third accurate, one-third meh, maybe, and one-third completely wrong gets in their hands. And then, then they do just sort of blast that out. Okay, because I was thinking, like, something that's, you know, a, a decent – sized uh, hardware cost and uh, and if they th- like throw those things out in mass that's got to be a heck of a budget so but then again they're probably a company that's sizable enough to have that so yeah yeah but the shame of that is is that every $300 router that they're randomly space game junkies no offense means some real hardcore person that actually knows a lot about routers and who people would rely on for an evaluation didn't get Right. And that's the inefficiency in the marketing universe right now mm. um, that, uh, you know, I, we are hoping to address. with right. and, th- and that's kind of the path I was headed on and failing <laughs> was, was saying, you know, that with move it, because you guys actually do, you, you not only curate 
you know, that here, here's the games that come through. Cause I, I notice you don't have a, a pile of random trash either. So that's, <laughs> that's good to hear. Cause we don't curate it. So yeah. I'm glad. Okay. Well, it maybe you should, <laughs> but, but anyway, that's, uh, that's that opinion, but you do curate the incoming content creators that, that are picking the fruit off the tree. So, in partially one, automatically and then we do try to I'll, I'll just expound on that we we do have some automatic filters mm-hmm. the one most transparent of which is the 50 follower subscriber minimum right. um, we have some other algorithmic filters that we think we have seen reliably to indicate fraudulent accounts or with a bunch of fake followers mm-hmm. uh, and then we do we i mean we try to look at every channel uh, that comes aboard and well, you know, the diff- to- you know, the difference between us and a guy that's like Linus tech tips. That's a hardcore hardware guy. So the, if they came to you with that hardware, then you would make sure that it gets into the right hands by process of automation. So, I'm sorry to, to Linus's uh, tech tips or Tom's hardware. I'm sorry. What it, yeah, well, I'm saying like if, if I came to you and I got a pile of routers and I said, make sure these go to people that actually deal with this. Yes, you're you the routing. Service that. Yeah. Right. And that's how PR used to be done with varying degrees of effectiveness. And you can you can tell my partisan orientation that you should have knowledgeable people representing the product. And there are firms like Triple Point and others that do that with the world now of creators where there are 200,000 possible candidates. It's just it's infeasible, even if you had limitless time uh, to be able to do that. So you've, you've got to bring some automation in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I and mean, the publisher is even with, you know, nine person, you know, community management teams and marketing teams just dedicated to streamers. It's still very hard for them. I mean, we spoke to one whose name I won't mention, uh, but, and hopefully they'll be on the platform soon. I mean, they have a staff of 10 uh, that, that basically just manage a list of 150 people. Mm-hmm. And they, it, we appreciate the cultivation, and that certainly works for them. They want to grow, but they don't want to hire you know a hundred more people uh, to try to get you know to one thousand five hundred uh, mm-hmm. people on their in their creator program. And I think that's what we can help enable. Mm-hmm. So, so you're saying they have like a personal list of like here's here's our hundred go to YouTubers. Yep, and we'll make sure that yeah. Yeah, and and in your situation, you're actually kind of through automation building a contact list as well, which I would hope feeds back into Triple Point, right? I mean, are the are the companies connected other than just by you, uh, or, or do they? Is it like, hey, you're you're a Triple Point customer, so therefore you automatically, you know, welcome aboard Woobit. Uh I mean, so to not be glib, they're pretty damn connected. They are two separate legal entities, but of course, uh, and my, my time is spent 95% on Woobit, but I still have a hand in triple point. Quinn does both. You'll see, you know, in part, because I think we have forward-thinking employees, they will put their campaigns for triple point clients like, um, you know, for Esmodi, uh, a lot of tabletop games uh, go up. But other PR firms are on as well. Uh, we hope to get more on as well. So there's no preferential treatment. Triple Point staff don't have access to, you know, any of the data that mm-hmm. we have in our in our back end. Okay. So is Triple Point software only, or do you guys handle other kinds of PR as well? Because it seems your your specialty, like looking through the list of companies that you've participated in, it, it seems to be like computer software focused. You know, and pretty much all games, and then occasionally we go down the primrose path of, hey, we should do other tech things too, um, in part just, you know, from 
you know, connections that Quinn or Eddie May or I would have. One of our staff, you know, has a roommate that works at a startup. And then we, you know, there's a big business theory discussion, but then we get tempted, ooh, this would be, you know, I think we could do something and be nice revenue to have. We always do best when we stick to our knitting. So we pretty much just do interactive entertainment of mm-hmm. different kinds. So we have Echo, an interactive storytelling company, um, Magnum Opus, which helps a whole bunch of film companies, you know, with digital goods. But if they're not gaming companies themselves, they're usually pretty close to the gaming sphere now. Okay. We used to do, you know, Double Dutch, the events company. Uh, we've worked on supply chain stuff. So if you went to, I forget what list you'd be looking at, but if you see some non-video game things, that's a, a bit of a vestige. Okay, because it, it got you listed as uh, under the term angel investor in there. So yeah. can you explain... Like I, I have been in a, a venture capital environment in a startup, um, which I had a I had a skewed view of how that process works. But I did talk to some of the VC guys, you know, just like educate sure. me a little bit. What What do you do? You know, um, do you do you just like, hey, that looks like a good idea. I'll I'll continue to throw money at it until it looks like a bad idea. And and you know if you you play the numbers game right, like if you knock enough doors, you're going to get a sale. So if I throw enough backing i'm eventually going to strike something or how how does basically the first off venture capital and then angel investor how does that differ sure um and in a way they're similar both take if they're doing it right what you're describing a more portfolio theory of their gains of, of all their investments that of the you know 20 companies they invest in hopefully one is a grand slam two are home runs a couple singles and they can accept a whole bunch of strikeouts otherwise. Um, I think most good angel investors try to do that as well. Mm. There's a little bit more of a, uh, which you also hear under the rubric, friends and family round. You will often invest in, hey, someone invested in me when I was getting started. Now they're doing a company. I'll invest in them, uh, sort of sending the love around. So decisions are not always optimal or economic in mm. Angels, angels have a tendency, although of course VCs are susceptible to this too, to, to chase, you know, hot deals. I think it's probably harder to be an angel um, mm. than people so think the, it is because the, the good the good deals are already done before the companies started. Ron Conway and his fund, you know, they, they've already committed to funding, mm. and so and there's only so much funding to go around, and it doesn't happen. But you know, for me, angel investing wise, you know, unless I had access to some you know, Ron Conway deal. Um, and I guess it's games related, you know, Sean um, Fanning's venture rupture, which got acquired by EA was something that, you know, Conway had, but the only reason I'm in that deal is that I know games and the game industry um, It's just some dentist who's bored after, uh, after 5 PM and wants to play with their money is likely to get something at the bottom of the barrel that is likely not to return investment. So, I guess I just jumped ahead to uh, you know how the how investment returns often shake out uh, versus sort of the overall process. Do you want to describe sort of the process and you know? Oh, absolutely. Well, I have a quick question though. If sure. uh, if an angel investor invests in a company, does uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's song come out and the the company's in the arms of it's an not, angel? It's, no, it's not that angel. Oh, sorry. Just just want to make sure I understood that process. Yeah. Uh, well, if the rumor is true, I think <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller might be an investor in Uber. I'm trying to remember if it was her or one of the other sort of 90s. So, so Uber's in the arms of an angel. 
Yeah, yeah well, she needs Brad a little. She needed a little pickup. Yeah, so reverse <laughs> reverse your question. There you go. Actually, I did want to bring up a side point here. Uh, we did talk a little bit about uh, paid influencers earlier, and yeah. and uh, there's an example from earlier this year regarding the game Everspace, which you guys okay. might recall. Yep. They paid someone 5,000 euros per hour for a two-hour paid stream. And his opening line when he was going to do this was, quote, I have to stop playing Destiny 2 now because I'm on a sponsored stream to play a space game, and I don't like space games. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was perhaps fur- poorly targeted. The further quote um, is regarding this. Again, I quote directly, and he played like a m- complete moron, a fucking moron. Yeah, and the, and the reason we know this is uh, because those guys then followed up on Twitter and said, oh, God, we have made a terrible mistake. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they, they paid 20 uh, YouTubers to play it, and only about three or five of them have worked out. The rest were okay or a disaster. Right. End quote. Yep. Uh, well... There's another option to dating, and it's prostitution, and that usually doesn't work out either for either the prostitute <laughs> nor the John, <laughs> the recipient of services. I, I just I feel as though their heart was not in it. Yeah, these paid deals. So what happens is it goes back and forth, and most of the brands that really – they will have strict requirements about what is to be said, what is not to be said – Legal gets involved, and it's why they're more comfortable ultimately doing stuff on YouTube that can be edited before it goes up rather than a live stream uh, event where, you know, someone speaks truth to power and the whole thing blows up. Uh, but, the you know, the wire has already been received. Yeah. Well, then you get the stuff like, hey, um, please review our game. It's coming out on Xbox. In case you don't have an Xbox, here's an Xbox Pro. <laughs> You know, we'll package this in with our game. I, I I remember that particular episode, you know, back a few years ago at the time that all what you were talking about was going on. It was like, damn, they just sent Xboxes out with their game. That's shocking because, you know, you're not going to get somebody that's going to be like, wow, this game really sucks. You know, yeah. it's like, but thanks for the Xbox. You know, you're, you're kind of cultivating that thing. So I see a, a, a service like what you're doing is, is kind of like, this is automation. We stand out of the way. We, we don't participate in those challenges. <laughs> right. So it, it just seems like a lot cleaner thing all the way around. We so, like to think so. I mean, yeah. of course, and that's, you know, again, we, we put up the paid function, the paid offer functionality. Clearly creators need to get paid. They can't just do fun games for their, all their friends. What is the exact means by which they'll get paid? Uh, you know, again, I think some of it is the brand deals. I think it's some of the stuff that's at the periphery. Mm. And look, sometimes it's fair to pay for people's time. And one of the things we're going to hopefully introduce is the ability to not have your stream uh, present the game, but just give feedback to the developer for a certain fixed price. Like, here is how I believe someone of my ilk would respond to the game in the live stream so as you're developing the game, you may want to take that into consideration. So that mm-hmm. as a market research function, I think that's both ethically clean. I think that's supportive of the entire ecosystem and helpful. Um, well, did you ever did you ever see that? Guys don't have the money to do this sort of thing. I mean, it's usually uh, environments you know globally that are more used to just paying even for journalists. They saunter into the U.S. and they say, "Well, why don't we just pay people to say what we want?" And, you know, the trouble is, well, that's not quite how it works. And, you know, we don't want to 
<laughs> we don't want to deal with it, but well, there are firms get, that will do that. Once you get to a content creator that has sufficient audience, then the the eyes of that audience are in a lot of demand, right? Yeah. So uh, you end up in a in a position where, well, I, I'm not going to pay for an endorsement, but I'm going to pay for placement, right? Like I'll I'll wave a little money here to get your attention, and then it'll work out, right? Um, but uh, do you remember the the old YouTube channel Freezer Burns? It was a guy that did frozen food oh. reviews. Okay, it oh, was excellent. Wait, maybe, I know the guy. He's maybe go yeah, further, go further with it. Okay, so he he ended up getting out of it because he he after like I don't know five six years of it, he was just like, man, the frozen food market it it's not good for people, and and I'm kind of promoting a thing that I don't believe in anymore. But you know, and that's because he had kids and stuff, and he's like, wow, this you know, if 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 I fed my kids a steady diet of this, it would be bad. So I'm not going to endorse this stuff anymore. But yeah. He had a he had a very interesting thing going on because when I talked to him, I was like, "Well, how how did you end up doing this?" and and he was like, "Well, I work in SEO and I do some marketing stuff on the side." And I was thinking one day, walking through the grocery store, it's like nobody's doing this. This is an untapped thing. This the the frozen food aisle looks like the Vegas Strip, right? It's all lit up and it, and it's all these flashy packages trying to get people's attention, right? And who's the audience in here? Well, it's like the soccer mom that doesn't have time to cook or the stoner at 2 a.m. that can't cook or, you know, whatever. So so I have this niche market, but it's a broad market as well. But it's, uh, you know, specifically like the busy mom and the college kid. So, you know, I can target that and I can make a show that was actually pretty highly produced for him shooting it in his own kitchen. Um, And he would just knock a couple episodes out a week doing that and and initially he was out purchasing tv dinners himself so he would have content to review and then when swanson and some of the other you know uh, companies got a hold of that channel and it got popular and they were like okay we'll you know we'll back a truck up to your house he he said he had like three freezers in the garage he was just trying to hold all the stuff that they were sending and they're burying him in this stuff so he got to the point where it's like okay i have more content than i can produce so I will not allow you to pay for a favorable review, but I will allow you to pay for preferential placement. So if you want to be at the head of the line, you can pay me for that. Now, the FCC did make it clear, Udi. you are supposed to say, if you are paid and giving a review, uh, they have sort of brought the standards that are, again, let's say to be generous, unevenly applied. You are supposed to say this is a sponsored post. And the FTC put out a somewhat clunky first document about this that was a little, you know, overprescribed about exactly mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is for, for the games industry, I think is a lot more ethically sensitive than this. You know, beauty, the beauty market is just is, is rife with a lot more direct corruption. And so is the food market. And so mm-hmm. I think... Which there's uh, no know, shortage of girls doing makeup shows on YouTube either, right? So. Well, and they're all getting, at the very least, free product, often paid. And it's pretty rare to see uh, that someone declares that they've gotten that. Um, mm-hmm. I, As someone who's not really in the market for uh, lipstick or eyeliner, I have, haven't watched too many of these videos. So I, I can't say that with too great authority. And then, you know, there are cultural differences on this too. I mean, both for the creators and the publishers. It applies across all sorts of different industries. Harrison Ford you know, never really does endorsements in the U.S., but 
two million to be on a billboard in Tokyo, um, you know, he takes that deal. And I think we can culturally read that in different ways. Uh, maybe it's not necessarily, you know, to the eye of someone walking the streets of Tokyo that Harrison Ford really loves this, but rather the brand had the money to pay Harrison Ford. I think he's been endorsing more don't go flying with him in an airplane than anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, United has not hired him for their billboard. <laughs> Though it would be a ballsy move if they did. JFK yeah, like, Jr., his estate could probably use a little boost. Yeah. Um, you know what? It, you know what would be. Would someone be got that. It's, Thank it's, you. It's too, it's too bad that Carrie Fisher has passed on. It's a because deep cut. They could have cut. like. Carrie Fisher could be like, you flew here in that thing, Jet Blue. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're braver than I thought. I'm wondering why they never did that. That would have been really good. Because <laughs> uh, then Lucas Lucas Arts makes them pay too. Yeah, and now the mouse, the mouse, the house of mouse. Oh yes, man. Disney has brand problems now. Well, <laughs> we'll go down that that rabbit hole some that's other completely day different. <laughs> that's an endless i don't want to spin jack up right because he's yeah. the toxic fan base but um yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> we're changing his name to toxic fan base <laughs> he is he is the poster child for that we we have a yeah. special channel for did him you, did to you just rant feel about that? star wars did you huh? just feel that i felt, yeah. I felt i felt that i felt it too. it's like a tremor it in like, the forest bro exactly so <laughs> Anyways, oh, um, anyway. yeah. So the venture capital thing, we were going to go rabbit holing on that a little bit more because I'm still, I'm still we're going back up one great. inception level here, back to VC. Wow. Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, I'll just wax poetic on this. How, how, how do you, how do you get into that? Uh, you know, is is it like okay, I hit the lottery. What do I do? You know, oh, I'm going to start companies and invest in them, or. Or what? You know, like, do you become like a serial entrepreneur by proxy at that point, or, or what? Usually, I mean, for so VCs are typically either sort of a very successful product manager with an MBA that's that has you know, deeply analyzes the firm, is more of a financially oriented person. You know, they they <sighs> I'm trying to think of a good example, but but very often now, in especially for tech and gaming. VCs are almost always consisting of ex-entrepreneurs of one form or another. Um, or let's just say that the, the trend is very much in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's how you get into VCs. You know, VCs raise money from outside endowments, limited partnerships, wealthy families, uh, and they put together, you know, somewhere between 10 million and, uh, you know, when you get to the private equity level, 10 billion mm-hmm. up to tr- try to invest that money and they get a cut of management fees as well as any return. So it's a much, you know, formal process that um, has many steps. Angel investors, especially after there's some regulatory loosening can be, you know, anybody that can write the check of the requisite size. You are supposed to be an accredited investor, meaning you have, you know, I think it's like $250,000 a year and net worth of something millions. I I forget the exact, um, amounts but um and then you just you set up shop and you're an angel investor sometimes those successful angel investors then do little seed funds and angel list has made doing that sort of fund management a lot easier um, mm. more democratized which again has pros and cons right 
Um, well, and, I, and I've seen like the little micro investor things popping up, right? Where it's like the, this guy out in the third world needs like $90 to buy a donkey yeah. and you could invest in him. And, and I, I don't know if that's just like kind of throwing money away because it's not sufficient sized that it, it's going it, to, it's like you're parting with a little bit, but you're going to return a very little bit too. Or yeah. you know, is there, is there like a line where it's like, if, if you're not in for this much, just don't bother. I think for like the nonprofit or I mean, Kiva.org is one of the successful microfinance things that, that you're helping, you know, a, a woman who has been divorced in India, get her cow. Right. And I think that's successful. And I think people are looking for financial return. One of the first models was called um, prosper uh, founded by a guy that uh, then went on to found ripple um, the cryptocurrency prosper. Just it got gamed so easily prosper might still be around, but, yeah, it turns out to be very hard to sort of crowd crowd finance and lend. Right. In, in well, angel it brings, investment it brings every game out, not, not yeah. video game either. Exactly. But every scammer comes out of the woodwork. Yep, and then disappears back in after they've gotten even a small check, and then you know returns get ruined. Yeah. With angel investing, you're buying a piece of equity. It's usually for, it's more formal. Um, I, I mean, th- again, how far off for your audience we're going? You guys, let me know and steer me back. One of the game industry problems is, unfortunately, there is a lack of an active angel community to help finance early stage games. Um, There's just much less of this pay it forward. I've just sold my company to EA and now I will uh, fund 10 other small startups. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that brings that's illogical because there have been many, many really good game company returns. I mean, I, I haven't done this formally, but companies that actually have gone public. Whether it's you know King.com or Paradox or others, pretty high percentage of of all companies that go public seem to have an entertainment or gaming orientation versus being some add-on that you hope Facebook will buy. Hmm. But um, when when you take a company public, that kind of takes you out of the out of control of it, though, right? Because now you have more voices at the table. And you're beholden to a different set of rules, right? Certainly change it changes your company. Um, yeah. So is I would think well in desperation, right? Like I need funds to grow, and I'm not going to get the funds, you know, uh, organically. So if I do this, then I get such a wallop of of money that then I can exponentially grow the thing and and like you know jump that gap, right? Yeah. Which otherwise you maybe wouldn't. Is is that like the reason to do it? Because I would think like, well, you're giving up, you're giving up all that. Uh, well, people want liquidity. They they're because it's a illiquid stock, meaning there's no marketplace that you can trade the stock that you've earned. A lot of people, a high percentage of their net wealth is concentrated in that one company. Mm-hmm. So that's usually one reason. There are SEC regulations about the number of shareholders you can have. So when you're an Uber. Uh, you know, or other late stage companies, you, you might be, I think the threshold now is 500. Um, it's certainly one reason Twitter uh, went public. Yeah. Uh, and again, this, this is, I'd be happy to chat about those. You guys want to talk further, pretty deeply off sort of the, the normal gaming topic, but uh, it's fine. Go it's for it. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's an interesting problem. I mean, other companies can stay very big and relatively small. In their ownership is successful. I see um, lock thoughts has mentioned valve. I mean, valve, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's probably one of the most valuable startups. I'd say it's more valuable than things that lose a billion dollars every quarter. Yeah. Uh, but they don't need, I don't know if they even know what they do anymore though. 
I, it's well, maybe it's there's like, a method to that madness, they're, though. They're fo- they're they're more focused on the esports scene than anything in their store. Yeah. Although Gaben did uh, insinuate that they are working on more games, but the rumor mill behind that is they're VR based, or yep. at least a lot of them are. Uh, well, but like they've they've been heavily focused in uh, CS:GO and Dota 2 for years now. Like they've 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 poured so much into that mm. that I, I think uh, it just became more profitable to do that than to try and say finish yeah. a Half Life story. <laughs> well, I that, also, that's, I also but, think what partially happens there is that you, as a company, it's tough to maintain multiple cultures and distribution and game creation are two different cultures. Yeah, so they're primarily a logistics company at this point. Uh, Distribution, yes. Yeah. No question. I mean, occasionally they'll buy, you know, I mean, with Left 4 Dead developers, was that the last major bought? I think so. Um, So it's been a while. That's a slow transition. Will Half-Life 3 ever come out? Yeah. Uh, I'm not holding my breath, and that's not really a question at this point. I just it's an interesting shift from a startup that was a bunch of guys who left Microsoft who built a, a company to make this game Half-Life who then bought up other little guys who were making mods for Half-Life, such as like Dave defeat and team fortress and such mm-hmm. turned those things into official games. You know, they launched steam, you know, to bad reception with Half-Life two and then steam becomes popular and, yeah, and, I, and I'm sure that being a being the central distribution platform for digital games for a long was, time was not their game plan when they started when they started Steam. Right? It was just like, well, we want to distribute our own stuff. And yeah, it was a while before others were on. I forget the, how much time that took. It's a couple. Yeah, years. well, they well they actively restricted it. They didn't really want, and and they were like, oh yeah, to, to get on Steam, it, it was like it was a miracle. And then they kind of opened that up and it gets more and more open. But but that's the thing, right? When you're taking 30% of any transaction, at what point do you say, yeah, we don't want that money? Well, we don't like these people that are scamming the achievement things and the asset flips and all these all this other stuff. Because, it, but, but it's like really every dollar that processes in the store is 30% in their pocket. So it, it's kind of like uh, like the – uh, Todd Howard said the other day, if you want us to quit making it, you guys need to quit buying it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was talking about Skyrim ports. Well, and, they did uh, something with that, actually. They they changed the uh, the algorithm a bit to where when something is newly released, it'll read on the, on that particular store page, Steam is learning more about this product. Right. And there are certain things that are disabled, like achievements are disabled, cards don't drop until there's a trust score, you could call it, that gets right. built up. And once it hits that threshold, then the cards will instantly drop for anyone who plays enough to actually earn them, and yeah. achievements will display in your profile, but and all that other ble- fun stuff. It blew my mind whenever you hear stuff like, well, there's not only people that make games that drop cards, but then they have an entire back-end card farming operation where they have bots that play their own game to drop the cards. And then they just, yep. you know, it's, it's just the, yeah. the financial instruments that people will invent when there's a market. You don't even realize there's a market like good God. Why would there be an achievement market? But there is, 
and it's millions of dollars. And uh, okay. So, you know, the platform company that's amazing how well they resist temptation is Apple. And uh, I think Steam's trying to figure out, you know, what what exact level they want to have there. I, I think the brilliance of Steam and just getting back to, you know, when you're a public company, you are you are constrained by corporate law. Most corporations operate in Delaware. Delaware have the, uh, they actually incorporate that, meaning they're subject to those laws. Those laws basically say you have a fiduciary duty to maximize profit. Mm. And um, when you're Which, when you're private, you're able to make choices, and and also not necessarily have a direction. I mean, I think Steam, they, they try in their. Uh, I guess they're not officially a full holacracy company, but the amount of independence individual employees have is, you know, really at the maximum for an organization of their size. And I think they just, I think they just experiment see what happens and, you know, make decisions afterwards. And sometimes the, the outside public looks at that and says, oh, well, they, they tried to do this. And in fact, this is a big scam. And in fact, they're just, they just don't know in advance that, you know, the card drop operation might have some farming operation going on in China that's, you know. <laughs> well, I, I think they're discovering it like we're discovering it, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just like they create a situation they didn't realize existed and then then the – the uh, well, humanity consequences. Yeah. Kicks. Well, yeah, it's like it's like Jeff Goldblum said, right? Like scammers will find a way. Yep, it's, it's something like that in Jurassic Park. Uh, maybe it was dinosaurs, but <laughs> anyway. Taylor Alderdice, graduate of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jeff Goldblum, very aware. Yeah, we can't get him on the show either. Oh, keep trying. You'll get him. Well, he's a, he's big in video games now. A Jurassic Park game. He did a. <laughs> I haven't played that so. So um, I guess other question that – God, my brain has locked up. <laughs> oh, uh, All right. It, uh, no, I, I, I had a thing. A I, no, it's like I had something, and I've been like sitting like waiting 10 minutes. Like, Well, yeah, let me yeah, ask you guys a question. I mean, what are the space games out there that should be finding the niche? I mean, who should we be going after to try to promote and, uh, and get people on? Um you know, we've got some. We got Stellaris on. We've got Surviving Mars from Paradox. There've been another space game or two. I mean, what are the great indie games that need more attention? No Man's Sky, definitely. No, 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 no. You've heard of them? Yeah, they're pretty obscure. Um, uh, it, no, I, I actually. Okay, I, I remembered what I was going to say, and it's Kickstarter. But you guys go on, just remind me when I forget again. It was um, Kickstarter. So, so I, a few I would suggest are. Um, Starfleet Armada definitely okay. deserves more love than it's getting. I think uh, Overload deserves more love than it's getting. Uh, Orbital Racer is probably one that could use some love. Uh, there's, there are a lot of good ones out there. Scavenger SV4 is a good one. Uh, Space Tyrant, excellent little 4X game. Um, yeah, we had a really good time with those guys on. So, it's uh, are are they still solvent or are they? I don't know. They changed plan because like, they weren't doing so well with that. No, they were they were uh, talking about like we're going to do something else. The latest would uh, would uh, Angels well, Fall first qualify? I think yeah. it would. No, that would totally that would totally qualify. Um, I, I, think, yeah. I, I definitely think those guys need more love. Oh yeah, sort of the, an angel bullet investment simulation. You invest in bullets and then put them in people. No, I would, I would uh, throw what? in Drox Operative. Drox Operative. So Inter- that could use Inter- some, yeah, so Inter- that could use some help. 
Interstellar Trading Corporation is a good is a good one too. That's a good one. Uh, right. Helium Rain could definitely use oh, some more indie love. Helium Rain's a good, really good one. Uh, Avorian and uh, what's that other one that's similar to Avorian? Lightspeed Frontier. Helium Rain, they're having some problems trying to sort out their economic model. Yeah. So, Richard, if you wanna if you wanna like sit with them a little bit, <laughs> like work work the kinks out of their universe economic model. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of good space games out there, and we talk to developers all the time who just haven't a clue about marketing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, they know about making uh, games, not not marketing. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is like you know you can well, um, it was uh, uh, Positrack right that Klifsky owns. So so we were talking to Klifsky, and he said that whenever you are making a game, you want to plan for it, uh, about as much as you spent in development costs on PR costs yeah. on the back end. You know, so so it's like if you got if you got a million dollars to make a game, five hundred thousand of that better be marketing, or you're not going to make it. Anyway, that you was kind of a shocking too. figure. Yeah. Uh, the, the, let's put it this way: it's it's more than you expect. I don't think it's probably half half. And I I'll be uh, cutting myself off at the knees on this stuff. Sometimes, actually, what they need to do is put more money into the game. That they save the money for PR the game is not fully, fully finished and something that could be really good just comes out a notch half baked, but they don't have the money, you know, to survive and iterate and do the whole early access beta and, you know, continuous iteration. Um, but, but your general point is true. Most people just sort of think, well, uh, I, I put the game up on steam. So everybody in the universe with an internet connection could buy my game. And that used to work about you know, three years it ago. Used to, yeah. You should uh, you should talk to Chris Roberts. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, another one is Star Traders. Your wallet. Another one is Star Traders Frontiers. That was mentioned many this times. Isn't, okay. This isn't exactly a space game, but it's definitely an indie game worth noting. I would say Space Beast Terrafright could use. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scrolled, I should get the full list from you guys in Discord. I've scrolled a few of these. So, uh, you know, Starfleet Armada actually. Right? They've been working at that for many years, right? Yeah, yeah. The developer yeah, of that I one. Met, yeah, I'm trying to Google that, and unfortunately, you know, choosing your name is uh, one of the important Armada things. Starfleet Armada Rogue Adventures, if, if I'm not mistaken, is the full title. Yeah, and Starfleet yeah, and, is two and, words. And it's a thing you'd look at a screenshot of it and just be like, yeah, whatever. But whenever you actually dig into it, it's like, oh my god. This is uh, I, it just it does that. It's a bunch of mini It's a bunch of it's a bunch of mini games that are all connected, and you do all these different fun things, and you can play it with one hand on a mouse, and that's all. It's amazing. Yeah, the yeah. game, the game. Its problem is it does not translate well into a screenshot. No, nope. like I can't show you one picture and you say, "Oh my god, I gotta have that game." Yep, screenshots. No, video works well. It it, it yeah, looks videos. like. A, it looks like a game you got in a from a floppy in a Ziploc bag from a computer convention in the nineties. That's exactly well, what it looks was, like. I think that's when he started working on it. <laughs> yeah, actually. I think so. That is also part of its NASA. charm. That is totally part of its charm. Undeniably part of its charm. But it's again. Could yeah, I have seen so, this how, ten years ago? I might have seen this in two thousand and eight. I wouldn't be surprised. He's been working on it a really long time. Yeah, I, God, you want to talk about this, long? Oh my God! All right. 
yeah, talk about long term Mega Wars. Because uh, we had him on, and Mega Wars has been going on since CompuServe. Yeah. Uh, he's oh, still um, way at it. Jim, what's what's that name of that game the devs took us on a tour of? Canyon Racing. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Infinity Battle Space. Oh, yes. Oh, battle, so Battlescape. Those Battlescape, guys, yeah. or Battlescape, yeah. So they uh, they just crossed over from their closed alpha thing to the more public alpha, like, you know, if you buy in to whatever. But it, at the point in funding that they're at, to get access to play it today is still $100, which is a little rich for my Ooh, blood. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, if they were on Woovit and handing out codes or something, then so here's, that would be a different story. So Hint, here's the nudge. thing. It would here's definitely the, be a different the thing story. about them. It's here's harder the to model. And a lot of these guys, you know, you, you do these very complex model models of what your economy is going to be in game, especially for space games, usually of at least one type of the genres. It's tougher to model. What's it going to be like if I give out a uh, hundred free codes, shouldn't I have just made $10,000? And the answer is no, you haven't lost any sales because they weren't going to buy it. And you need to spread that word far and wide including to competitors. I mean, what, the other thing that Eric Rees, who wrote this book called, uh, oh my God, now I'm blanking out the most famous startup book, um, The Lean Startup. Send your product plan to your competitor. Like, it doesn't matter. It's all about the execution on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of space games get very nervous. Well, if I, if I show them my special mechanic, someone else is going to copy that and then I'm screwed. And the answer is no. The feedback you get is so much more valuable. The exposure is more valuable, and you can do it cheaper than trying to just you know frantically buy attention within your launch week or whenever you might be featured on Steam. You definitely want to have a plan for a long burn. Sometimes that's expensive. Sometimes not. So, do you have uh, some yeah. sort of a handy figure projection uh, that it, it's like on uh, on the multiplier, right? Like if if I give out a code. I expect that person to create this many customers for me. Is there like a, is there some kind of a fuzzy number for that? Uh, so in, in marketing, the college is sort of R, uh, what that has to be more than 1.1. 1. 1. Um, it's hard to know what that's going to be in advance, but you want some type of virality such that you are getting that. It, it can't equal one. Then you've just sort of wasted time. You've got to have it a little over such that it does keep replicating. And obviously that asymptotically approaches some number that, you know, no longer grows. But mm. the beginning stage, you want to be on what's called the S-curve, very rapid adoption, slower middle age until you begin to just milk and monetize the time. So what's, so what's the wisdom in awareness stuff where people decide, hey, it's a good idea to stick my game in a bundle for a dime? And spam because I just I figure at that point uh, you're never going to sell it at retail for yep. for a respectable price. You've just raced directly to the bottom, and I, I see a lot of that race to the bottom stuff going on. And there, there's still some people like as a consumer, I look at like is is it ten dollars or more? If it's under ten dollars, uh, I don't know if they value their game enough. And and it, but it's like, well, do I want to sell it for ten? But I know that it's really going to do the bulk of its sales at a fifty percent off. So I'm going to price it at twenty because I know I'm going to sell it at ten that I want. Yeah. Or what? And 
Well, there are two things that happened there, and I well, and I definitely want to come back because we were talking about financing of games, and I think Humble Bundle, um, which obviously at one level as a gamer I love, and I have you know four hundred more games in my Steam library that I normally otherwise had. I'm not playing most of them. Um, I think it definitely hurt the ability of a lot of companies to get funding. Ironically, as things got pulled out of the library. Uh, and, you know, I'm going up against, oh, Limbo is now free on Humble Bundle. Do I really want to pay eight bucks for some other, you know, side scroller game that's atmospheric? Right. Uh, that's That gets tough. Well, um, another people- another thing that I feel that that does a disservice to is expectation that if I, if I buy this and then within the next six months, so they'll probably drop it in a Humble Monthly anyway. So yeah. why don't I just wait? That's and- right. You've set the consumer expectation of the price, and that that's that is very bad for the industry overall, especially given the the uh, the hours that it took to go to produce this. This isn't some cup of coffee, uh, you know, or for that matter, perfume. I mean, there are some goods that have extremely high margins where the branding uh, executives that lurk in their often reviled market say, no, no, no that venti latte has got to be $4. You can't run sales on it for 50 cents. Only under the most extreme circumstances does that happen because you've got to sort of, you know, maintain the marketing myth of that price. And the game industry, unfortunately, I, unfortunately, in my opinion, hasn't done that very well. Right. Why does one individual producer do it? Well, you see on, on Steam, two of your friends have play, are playing Limbo now. Because they've, uh, and by the way, I'm not meaning to pick on Limbo. Uh, Triple Point did the initial launch on it, and we haven't done anything since, so I, I don't know this is their strategy. But, um, well, two of my friends are playing it. Maybe I'll play it as well. Um, so maybe that works better for multiplayer games. Um, but I think just awareness, given the monopoly Steam has, has been one reason why uh, people still choose to do it. Hmm. And, th- and that's the thing you can't discount either, is that Steam friends list. Oh, so and so's playing this. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Well, let me go look at it. Oh, hey, I bought it too. So yeah. you know that. No that's one's a looking thing. at IGN reviews anymore. Oh, or you know, even Metacritic. Like I oh, do when I need a game. laugh, but yeah, I was about to say IGN make me laugh. Right. And I mean, so that was a, that was a definite nine five. Aside from you know, aside well, from people who get paid to write reviews because if they don't get a certain no, no, no. score. Oh, well, uh, no, it's the it's the people who get the bonus in their check that made the game because for right. some reason the company thinks that looking at Metacritic is a good way to judge what your corporate bonus should be. And then you end up pandering to the critics because you you need to like boost up that Metacritic score, whether it's bullshit or not. So There's also the issue that Metacritic doesn't really change its scores after release. If you get bad reviews initially, you're stuck with them. Yes. Well, yeah. Steam's kind of got that too, but at least they they are uh, recent and long term yeah, separated yeah. out. But still, so it should be uh, said because you're re- referencing, I think, John Riccatello in particular, EA. You know, ultimately, he lost his job over that. Yeah. There are other things involved too, but I mean, they got very stuck on that system. And, yeah. Well, who, uh, who's the guy at Metacritic? It's Charles, I think his name is. Uh, well, you know they're owned by CBS now. Oh, um, now because back back in the day, right? It was one guy, and it was yep. like that is a hell of a lot of power for one man to have because he gets to decide how he rounds numbers. 
You know, it's like, oh well, yeah, is three stars a sixty percent? Uh, that's three stars is a very powerful negative <laughs> if it's sixty percent on a percentage scale, right? On the seven to nine scale, Ooh. Um, and this is the nice thing that the long tail, has, you know, for me, Hotline Miami is a is a ten out of ten, uh, but I can see why for other people it's a four. Mm-hmm. And Metacritic averages that to seven, and it fails because it's a seven and not a, a eight point one. That's that's a real shame. Yeah, um, and and luckily, I don't think a lot of people shop by that score. But oh God, yeah. if we lived in a if we lived in a world right where it was just and and spending a, in a you know, world years as where a the person, users yeah. buy, yeah. <laughs> where Metacritic became so one man stands and, apart. Yeah, I, I need the where Terminator games music. were actually purchased based on their merit and not on their price. <laughs> October twenty first, twenty twenty seventeen, Metacritic became self aware. Yeah. Well, that gets uh, like Black Mirror episode where everybody's running. They're they're rating on a scale to five. Soviet Russia steam plays you. That's right. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't that wasn't that uh, uh, an Orville episode where everything was a Reddit score? Yes. Yes. People would upvote and downvote people. That was a social media. (laughs) Social media is, is a as a uh, person who is in the PR game, social media has got to be, uh, give me an adjective, (laughs) something not too negative. Uh, Well, Uh, challenging. Yeah. Um, A lot of brands don't want to do it because the downsides are lower than the upside. See these large corporations like airlines fumbling around and their, their accounts like professor Jeff Jarvis, that troll, these places as, as if he was the New York university professor by the same name. Yeah. And Although they, they have no I, idea how to handle it. Well, um, I think, I think one of the most brilliant viral marketing things that has gone on though is when like different food brands, you know, like McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's have a brawl on Twitter. It's hilarious. But and Wendy's wins. I, I think though. it's genius. Yeah. Wendy's well, they is do the because best. They, they have the, they have the wittiest hamburgers is why, <laughs> but but, you know, then if you're Arby's and there's like the, you know, I forget the Arby's satire account, which, of course, probably oh, uh, 99.5%. Nihil- uh, I think it's Nihilist Arby's. Nihilistic Arby's. Nihilist yes. Arby's, yeah. It's fabulous. Amazing. And maybe 99.5% of their uh, possible uh, customers never see that account. But it, it does slip out. That's very challenging about how to handle it. Yeah, Aspiring well, brands, I mean, the number three hamburger chain, Wendy's, gets to take a lot more liberties than the number one chain. Yeah, and, um, and it's the thing, like, if people, you know, it's like, haha, that funny thing that, that Arby's said. Hey, where do you want to go to lunch today? Uh, Arby's? I don't know, because it's on my mind, right? So, mission accomplished. Well, they've been so. doing a lot of those, like, gamer ad campaigns, too, on Facebook before I ditched. It was like, you know, they had uh, some is that, Arby's. Is that like Taco Bell? I can go get the Halo meal? Well, no, no, no. Master Chief Cup? No, this was like they were taking um, Arby's, like, sandwich containers and, like, making uh, Zelda shields out of them and doing, like, some clever, like, punchline to talk about Arby's food and, like, Zelda or something Oh, that's like funny. That. I was completely unaware they missed me on that but but then you have these organic success stories like doritos and mountain dew that just became 
you know. Well, do you think those were organic, or do you think you know Frito Lay and Pepsi ahead of them, you know, just bought that success? I mean, when you have seven Super Bowl ads, how organic is? Well, I mean, like gamer targeted though. Uh, Okay. Did did they, did they like specifically target the gamer market or uh, you know, or it's tried. just like Wild and gamers and... was doing? They did a pretty effective campaign, I thought. Um, uh, the Hot Wings Challenge, which they've taken over from you know other other media. Yeah, uh, you know, Eat My Diction did a his six minute Hot Wings Challenge, and I I think that's probably pretty effective as brand brand awareness goes. God, I haven't heard about Diction in a long time. That's funny. So it's may, it's eat may my have addiction. died from the hot wings. Uh, it was, it was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Diction diction comes around from the time of like early days of Enters, Mister Sark, and those guys. Like wow. that's he's been around since I, then. I just find his name fascinating. That's great. Yep. That's <laughs> yeah, I, I can't he's forget a, it now. He's he's a he's a big guy with a beard. Wow. Yeah. Same well, so, a yeah. lot of those guys so that, were around early, like him, LL Renene. I mean, and again these. These they're they're hardworking professionals, but there's definitely an advantage to having been around, you know, since the Justin TV days. Yeah. There you go, stream stream chat, Jim. Mm-hmm. That's great. That is really uh, good on Arby's. Yeah. So, That's well, I saw um, it was a it was an interview that Ninja did with uh, with he he. Uh, where he was talking about what his schedule is like. And cause it's just like, Oh, these streamer people, right? Like, why do they act all stressed out all the time? Why are they always like on the verge of a mental breakdown? You know, whatever it's like, they sit on their ass, they play video games on Twitch all day, whatever. And, but he talked about what his schedule is. So he gets up at like six in the morning and he streams for about maybe five, six hours, takes a break for lunch for like two to three hours to spend a couple minutes with his wife. And then he comes back and he streams till two in the morning and then he gets like five or, you know, four, four to six hours of sleep. And then he's up playing Fortnite again. And, and it's just like, I would lose my mind. I could do that for a week and I'm done. But, but then again, at the point where I get a $5 million check, I'm going to burn that game. I'm going to burn my computer and I'm never going to stream again. (laughs) Well, or, you know, you know, or Dr. Disrespect, you have to take time off because you've, you've truly burned out. I mean, these guys normally do make it look easy. They, they have to work hard, especially if you're going to be a Fortnite streamer and people are watching you because you're the best. Yeah, you know you've got to put in the proverbial ten thousand hours. And- yeah. So a doctor disrespect thing, a thing about his branding that I do I do not understand. Right, is when he he came out with that apology. You know, it's like, and, and I'm not going to get into what it was, but he made a mistake in his personal life. But then he comes out on the stream, right, with this mea culpa about a thing nobody knew about and and he it's like well he's not going to escape that now that's going to haunt him because he will be trolled forever about that and and it's just like wow why did you make that mistake bro well i think you're when you're on for so many hours um you know whether you're a political figure whether you're a Fortnite streamer you, you you speak for a hundred hours a week. You're going to say something uh, or make a decision that that you might have to live with for a long time. Yeah, that's and, uh, that's true. It, you give yourself a lot of opportunity to put your foot in your mouth. And not to be a psychologist, you know, play psychologist on this stuff. But you know, the the confession is in a medium that he was sort of holding responsible for the cause. 
So I'm not sure it was like a a decision made with transparency in mind so much as, you know, (laughs) expurgation of the guilt. Um, Yeah, because it's I I don't know the situation very well. These streamers lead very tough lives. It's a lot of hours you got to put in. And it's the supreme Um, pressure because like uh, I've heard various people say it. Right. But but like with Total Biscuit, you know, where he where he's like, hey, if I take a day off. I just lost like 5,000 subs or whatever. And then yeah. with, uh, you know, so, so it's about consistency and, and stuff, but then YouTube starts playing their crazy games. I don't, I don't even understand. Like I, I used to know a lot of people that did YouTube things and they were doing pretty good at it. Yeah. And now I know a lot of people that before the video finishes uploading, it's already demonetized. And I, I, that's the thing that kills me before it's even like, yeah. And then in and, and YouTube's like, no, no, there's no, there's no blacklist or whatever. It's our algorithm. It analyzes your, it's like, dude, I put up a video. We, we did this, right. It's a guy that I know and he put a video up and it was a video of, uh, it, it was like a, a cook, serve, delicious kind of game, right? There was no adult language, no nothing. And it's a game about running like a hot dog stand. demonetized not family friendly and it's like oh my god really so (laughs) the whole thing gets demonetized yeah so so then what he did is he took a video that was bunny rabbits and he just put like an audio track over it like i love youtube rainbows puppies good things happy thoughts right and he just says this for like three or four minutes and and it's just bunny rabbits he put it up and it was demonetized. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Tell me there's no blacklist. So I don't understand what's going on there, but it's like the streamer people that were that were making a good living as a, as sort of a passive income of you know, like I'll put content up, they'll stick an ad on it, I get paid. Those days are done. Well, right? I'll give you my so, pet theory on why that's happening now. I, I think that as more and more brands decide. We are going to spend our marketing spend is going to go from 50% television, whatever percent, everything else, and 5% online, and 1% of that is video and streaming. I mean, those Uh numbers might truly actually flip, and it'll be 50% long tail, niche streams, videos, and whatever. And they just put the pressure on YouTube and Google to say, you know, we really want to make sure that nothing is infringing. Everything's family friendly. Um, mm. I'm not sure there's like one event that that's happened, but I think systemically, you know, from the what? life of YouTube, like that was born on stolen SNL skits. Yeah. You know, to now where we had a creator that did a video and it was like a half hour video of, of a, a game he got off of. And <laughs> then it suddenly gets demonetized. Uh, because the developer put in, I think it was like 90 seconds of some music uh-huh. somewhere. And again, like they don't know these, de- there's clearly no intent to what would be called, you know, a trademark violation versus a copyright yeah. violation. Like no one bought the game for that music. It's not no. like they had this, you know, the opening score for star Wars in their music. And yeah, but, but here's, here's the thing. No recourse. Really, here's the thing that's really nasty. I got a copyright shot on mine, right? It was, it was, it was, it's not a, like a strike, you know, where I'm, where I'm actually like lit on fire for it, but it was one of those, like, we're going to take all the money 
that's revenue on your video. Not that I mean, it made like a dollar anyway. I didn't care, but it's the it's the thought, right? Like if if I was a big YouTuber and this was like millions of of views and I'm making real money, I would freak out. So I was playing Ark Survival Evolved. And I'm standing on the beach. I never have music on in video games. I got burnt one time for Star Wars. I think everybody on the channel has. Right? Yeah, I- Sony comes for you. And and it's like, you know, it, it, as soon as like three three notes of the Star Wars theme play, you're you're done. Um, so I just turn music off as a blanket policy on all my games. And so I'm, I'm playing. Which on- sucks, by the way. Yeah, well. Yeah, it's its thing, but but it's um, I have a, a whole rant about pod safe music that I'll I'll hit someday on here, but I'm standing on the beach and I'm banging on a tree with an axe like you do, and there's seagulls in the background and the sound of the surf, right? And I got a copyright flag on that, and they're like, yeah, because it belongs to this copyright holder at this time. And I listen to the thing and it's just nothing but ocean noise. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Well, it's somebody with a sound effects track and the people who sell the sound effect, I guess that the game creators used came and is hitting copyright flags on it. And it's like, my God, it's a sound effect in a game. Like how fair use, the, the, the legal standard called fair use has to be revised. Um, yeah, I mean, this is all. <laughs> now it's we're a, definitely going another gray. inception level down. About well, it's, a, it's a weird gray area, right? Because, but it's a PR thing. So this is prime time to talk about this, um, where it's like I am doing a PR thing by displaying their game. I'm making sales for them, but then you have people that come along and say. You know, we made the game. This is our effort, and then you guys are parasites because you're making a living just off displaying our art. And and it's like, uh, no, I think it's two way street, right? Like I'm getting you sales because people wouldn't know about your game. Just a so, side mention here: uh, this sort of thing happened with BattleTech, the the recent release, because people were making videos and they were getting dinged for it because of the music of John Everest. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, he actually uh, he composed that music, but he put out a statement that people have permission to use it in their videos when they're making Battletech videos. So most of those, as far as I know, have been cleared up, but they were just getting dinged because the system was flagging them. Oh, weird. I know. Hey, okay, so here's a question I have because this is, this is related to this. Yeah. Grand Theft Auto 4 specifically – being sold on Steam, they had to update the game because the licenses ran out for the music that was in the game. So a patch came out to remove music. And one of the songs that was removed was like the intro theme song to the game of GTA 4. I do not understand how that like works. Like I understand licensing, but like... Yeah, but they, how did they lose a license to their own original creation? Right, like, well, that's that's what I'm getting at. Like, if I've purchased a game to play, and then it gets patched to where it's like that, that just boggles my mind how that's okay. Well, and, and like, well, it's it's a weird thing because it's like at the time that I purchased the game, I purchased the game with those music tracks, and it's so, no longer the game that I purchased if you've removed them. Well, it's, yep. it's the thing of like, do I retain right 
to actually have those tracks because I purchased it while the license was in effect, or it's a distribution question because it's easier rather than maintaining two versions of the game uh, to just say, okay, well, all future distribution is going to be the lesser version or, you know, it, you know, well, thankfully the modders out there like have fixed this issue for oh, that. Us, they fixed but, that within minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still just like a question of, you know, the licensing issue with these kinds of games and marketing them like that. It, it just, it boggles my mind. Cause it's, it's, you know, we were talking before the show and a little bit early on with like Stellaris, for example. Yeah. yeah. That well, game's been, that game's been patched into oblivion of that is no longer the game that I bought. Yeah. I mean, it's still a good game, but it is a different game. But, it's, it, but they sold it kind of as a living game. Questionable. They, well, if you look at, if now, you could you mod it, it back? I'm just curious. I mean, it's th- that that can work both ways. They they actually do have a way in that terms of the balancing it. of the economy and whatever. Yeah, can, you can go can't in. Can you roll back it, the it's, patches? It's a, you can. Uh, you basically the way that you would normally accept a beta version, you go in and set it to a beta version that is actually a rollback. But yeah. that's a very unique situation because that is the only game I know of that has done that, and and they wouldn't have done it if it hadn't have been for a lot of community stuff about that um but it's it, it broke mods it did all kinds of things well it was a very radical change like you said it's a it's a completely different vision of how the game functions right um yeah so well yeah. Just, one one idea just to close this out on modding because are these videos and you know if, because if there's a copyright infraction on the soundtrack literally the sound the, the musical track an XSplit or OBS or whatever, some open source genius should be able to enable, certainly Google has the resources to put engineers to say, adapt the audio track here to take out whatever the offending content is or, you know, have some automated dispute resolution instead of this whack the whole damn thing and or give the monetization to some IP holder because they have a 90 second claim somewhere within it. Right, I it, think that, that'll come in time. It's got to yeah. come. But it's. Um, a, but I wonder how much of that is a game, right? Because if I if I own that ninety second clip of some ocean sound effect, right? And there's how many thousands of videos out there where that sound effect is used in a game. And if I go out and I copyright hit all of those, I've just sucked up all the paychecks from that many channels for that video, right? That could be a pretty sizable chunk of money. That if I was if I had the opportunity and I was an ethically fiddly content holder, uh, yeah, there's a hell of a temptation to cash that check. So yeah, well, I've never actually been on the other side, so I don't know the economic do the right yeah. hits. I suspect they're a lot less profitable than they're hoping it to be, mm-hmm. um, and so they've actually made a mistake in terms of the of, of the use, and it would be better. To have the Twitch live stream, you know, playing the Billy Joel concert, um, you know, with some other resolution that that <laughs> indicates that you can buy tickets for the concert. Um, right. But that's that's tough to mediate. I get both oh. sides on this. Intellectual property holders have to be compensated. Mm. Um, well, the then, royalty system is whacked up right now, well, and how YouTube in particular is applying it. Although well, Twitch YouTube. is also pretty militant. 
Well, yeah, Twitch has gotten remarkably worse since Europe has been talking about that Article 13 thing, which is yeah. which is basically if Twitch puts up something, then the person that violated the copyright is not this, the person that can be litigated against. It's Twitch. So at that point, well, you guys, wow, we're under a lot of risk. So we're gonna we're gonna have a heavy hand. Well, boy, guys, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I really appreciate the invite. Anything else we want to wrap wrap up on and come back in another time? I'll. Uh, yeah, I, I have one one other thing, um, and it's about Kickstarter and the crowdfunding right. model. <laughs> right, right. It's a short subject. We'll only be here another hour. Um, but <laughs> but so you were talking about. Uh, as far as people seeking funding to make a game, right, or piece of software, or whatever. So, uh, if I if I said, "Hey, man, I need investors. I'm going to make this thing," but how often has it been that Kickstarter is not the entire investment, but where the angel investor, you know, the VC people will look to the person that's going to make a product and say, "Okay, go fish on Kickstarter." And your funding goal is actually 10% of what it will really cost. But you have to prove to us that the interest is there by raising a certain amount in a public crowd fund. And yep. then we'll back you. Does that happen a lot? Uh, it, let's put it this way. Right now, 10 years ago, uh, angels and VCs were a lot more willing to based on a business plan without actually seeing what they call product market fit acceptance evidence Mm -hmm. Um, that has slowly changed as more and more startups come. Why not fund the things that have gotten product market fit first? Um, And then that's where all the money goes. Mm -hmm. Kickstarter success is of course, one of the most visceral forms of product market fit. Um, And, you know, we, we've worked with Sayo, Ouya. I mean, Ouya, I think did like $4 million in Kickstarter. Uh, And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a false, you know, a false indication. Um, so I think VCs maybe are overly reliant on that because it's a little bit of a niche. I, you know, I don't know. But it is, but it is a gauge that they use then. So I'm sorry. Like, it is a gauge that they employ, though, is, is like they can tell you, like, well, go, let's see what you make on Kickstarter and that'll prove it. And then, but are, it's are there usually VCs? not that direct? It's not, there's not a quid pro quo. Um, uh-huh. But, but you, but it is definitely an indicator. By the so, way, the more uh-huh. you can raise on Kickstarter, you the less you need from the VCs. So it's True. not actually it's not a scam. It actually sort of helps you uh, retain a larger portion of the company if you can bootstrap the funds from Kickstarter than getting uh-huh. it from Benchmark Capital. So if I bring oh, VCs in, let's say I have this brilliant idea and I need money, right? And I, and I go through the the A round funding stuff. So at that point, are the VCs actually on my board? Like they, you know, I, I'm beholden to them and I have to explain every step of the way what we're doing and they, they have influence in the company or are they uh, just a passive thing? Uh, almost, especially a VC. One of the reasons why the VCs limit is they have a limited number of board seats they can take with their partners. And so usually there's one board representation per round. Okay. So the Series A lead investor is the seat. Just to uh, close on a super technical note. Uh, but yeah. Hey, I'm, but I'm always happy to talk about it. And, uh, you guys have a really thriving Discord. I'll definitely be hanging around. Yeah, please I'm more do. of a Ticket to Ride and Grand Theft Auto guy. Probably the last space game I really loved. Um, we got people who play both those things in our in our yeah. in our uh, Discord. Yeah, I'm we're not sure. we're not we're not mutually ex- we're not exclusive to just like 
space games. No, we. Oh, we, I know. No, no, I've seen it. We love all games. Hey, does, does that? Does anybody ever do like an inverse Shark Tank kind of thing where right. instead of you coming to the <laughs> capital person to pitch your product? They see somebody that it's like, hey, that thing's doing really well on Kickstarter. Let me call them and say, hey, do you want like ten times more money? Oh, that happens all, all the time. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, not just Kickstarter, but but if if you're doing well, uh, and we we have definitely gone uh, he so I describe this, but you know, even a a company that I started and shut down. I mean, when when a VC's PR firm started using it. You know, we got a call from them later, like, oh, this seems to be being used. Uh, are you looking for funding? And the answer to that fu- question is like the ending of Ghostbusters. If someone asks if you are looking for funding, you say yes. But that's, that's a whole other big beat of the topic. Uh, you guys have been yeah. awesome. It's I like, know we have unfinished business and uh, I want to start a user base. I want to start a venture capital firm, but I need uh. funding. Can I get a venture? We, we got to wrap That would it be up. like Inception <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> okay. We've been going almost two it's hours. Been the top. Richard, this has been insanely fascinating because you're like, I think the first person we've talked to from the PR side of things, maybe. I think you are. All and, right. And we usually don't get, and we usually don't get that perspective, which is, I mean, we talk to devs all the time, but we, we don't talk to, you know, and your, your, your job NPR is just as essential to greasing the wheel of gaming as developers and, and per, us consumers. Yeah. It's all an ecosystem. Everybody has to work together, yeah. and we want them to work together more efficiently. Exactly. So in a in a drunken bar fight, what? you or or uh, Troy Goodfellow, who would win? Uh, I think I think we would amicably resolve it and just get more codes out to people. Yeah, Troy's okay. a nice, Troy's a really nice guy. I don't think there'd be a fight he's, at all. He's I a very I, I, I don't I, I'm sure I've met him personally. Of course, I know him uh, from Paradox. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't want to say we're well because he used to work for Tom too back in the day, right? And that's before he went to Did Paradox, he? didn't he? Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. He was, he was at Evolve for like. But he's a very I, I think the likelihood of the drunken fight is is much much lower. Oh, you have to go to. You got to have people like yeah. you guys are old '90s magazine people. You know, Robert Coffee in a bar fight. You know, Robert's Mar- still probably going to win. Cyrillus. Huh? Martin Cyrillus. Uh, anyway, <laughs> well, guys, this has been awesome. Thank you yeah. so much. I'll see you around in Discord. Um, everybody who's on here, uh, please check out Wovit and uh, Wovit. Right. You wish to, you guys the best. You got to. He wishes we wouldn't so sing just, that song. Just anymore. a couple of. Uh, programming notes before we wrap up my friends um, Thursday we're returning to uh, Pandora with some Borderlands 2 uh, we're going to cause a lot of mayhem in that kill a lot of things I hope uh, next week on the podcast uh, Hunter this is your topic so how would you describe it this was your idea I was going to call it something like the ease of consumption but what, what would you? how would you describe this topic we're going to talk about next week well, we, we kind of touched on it a little bit this evening, but in, in the grander scheme of things, we're going to be discussing things revolving around the video game industry as a whole and how mm-hmm. it seems to be catering to the whole rather than to different uh, groups. Mm. Um, you know, because the, ca- the casual gamer is here to stay and there's nothing wrong with being a casual gamer. There really isn't. No. But it would seem that the industry has more shifted its focus to cater to that uh, more regularly than, say, 
to uh, to more intense type gameplay styles. That's I fair. would say. Okay. I can so. feel I can feel Richard itching that, to want to come back. That'll be a that that'll one, be a, that'll be a really fun topic. <laughs> I'm sure he's got an opinion. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I'll reserve it for then. But right. yeah, plan, Richard, plan we do want to have you back show. on at some point to continue rolling. this topic because it was fascinating. And hey guys, uh, anytime. And the final thing, yeah, folks. Jump gate yet? That was the biggest miss. Oh, that oh yeah, you didn't wait a second. Time. Okay, hang on a second, folks. So apparently, you know Scott Brown. From NetDevil? Sure, from, very from, well, from NetDevil. Okay, if you could send him my email or something, but I would... He's got he's to come on this show. I would, Please yeah, and thank you. Please and I, thank you. I would, I would just geek out so hard. Uh, yeah, like, why don't, why don't you guys both come together? You can just, like, grab him by the ear and drag him in. Yeah, we need to talk about so, that. So, so is he to you what Dave Westman was to me? Uh, sort of. He's basically. one of the... Basically, he's the guy, he's the main guy behind Jumpgate. And, right, and uh, Ryan is the last human being still playing that game. So. No, I'm not. They're actually, <laughs> they're actually still some other people playing it. Um, well, sadly, not yeah. enough. Sadly, not enough. But, um, but yeah, I would love to talk to Scott about. Um, Scott would love talking to you guys. Oh my god, I, we need to make that happen. Oh my yeah, god, let's get him on here. I'm I'm getting so excited. Just I'm, I'm, yeah, and tell I'm, him to bring Jumpgate Two with him because we've been waiting never for happened. fifteen no, years. It, it will never. It'll never. I don't even know if that exists I, I anymore. I kind of know some of the stories, um, but yeah. But uh, he's fi- got a new project. But we'll, we'll get we'll get him on. Finally, folks, uh, we're switching up the Thursday night stream a little bit uh, by request because we had so much fun with it the other week. Instead of doing a board game every month, we're still going to do a board game every now and again. But we are starting a new long play series like Borderlands 2, but with EDF. 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 <laughs> we had so much fun playing that the other week that we, we should just become a dedicated EDF channel. We'll EDF be like, we'll junk- be like EDF junkie. Talk. I wouldn't be surprised EDF, if there's EDF an EDF junkie. Yeah, it's EDF talk, and then we'll just be like <laughs> Tenno talk, but we just play EDF. For five nights a week, about three hours, and and and, and all we do, and all life. we say is EDF. We're like the uh, we're like the adults in Charlie Brown. All we say yeah, is we'll EDF. Get an, we'll get an EDF. aggressive ninja like schedule, and, and then sing we... the song, of course, because you know that has to be done. And there will be a niche audience of three that I want to move it. Well, that, that, that niche audience EDF will be developing. all the time. EDF all the time, twenty four seven EDF. That could happen. Uh, so thank you very yeah. much, folks, for. Listening and watching. Oh, and last thing, uh, I forgot. Richard has a few codes for a thing, right? You have, I do. Yeah. So we're gonna be running a contest starting probably tomorrow or the next day or two, uh, where you can answer some trivia questions and try and win those codes for Stellaris. Uh, you got it. So we are gonna be giving away a few copies of Stellaris. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you don't like the evolution of the economy. You are not eligible. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you have to ask some dank business questions. It'll be like statistic things. And, oh, shit. Oh, yes. no, or, or love letters to Troy Goodfellow. No, we'll, we'll work, we'll work on well. what the questions are uh, off, off, uh, off mic. But thank you so much, folks, for watching and listening. To our Patreon subscribers, as always, thank you for subscribing. And we will see you next time. Have a great night, everyone. Bye-bye.